Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday, September 16th, 2019. Kicking off the show, a melancholy, fond farewell to one of the two frontmen and founders of the seminal New Wave band out of Boston, the Cars, as uh, we learned today that Rick Ocasek uh, has passed away at age 75 cause of death unknown that of course was let the good times roll off their first album eponymously titled the cars you know i uh i grew up a big cars fan as anybody's heard the show before you probably heard me play some cars on the intro before um you know was a kid when they first became really popular late 70s early 80s probably about nine ten years old they were part of that that new wave revolution, if you will, um, of American bands, not necessarily the, the new wave British invasion, right? So you had like Talking Heads, B-52s. Uh, the police were British. Well, two of the members were British, right? Stuart Copeland was American. Uh, but same genre. Um, those were the songs you would hear on NEW here in New York City. Uh, mentioned it before, that station was more apt to play uh, the newer artists and the newer bands uh, in, in, in those days, in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, was always a huge fan. Went away from them for, for a while there uh, in college, really didn't listen to much of the cars. You know, they did some more poppy stuff later on in the mid-80s, as a lot of bands were wont to do, by the way. You know, songs that I thought I liked, or not th- thought, I did like. Uh, when they came out, when I was like a teenager, like you might think, today I think is not a very good song. But uh, Candio, one of the greatest albums of all time. I remember actually listening to that at uh, the first, my first summer ever at Sleepaway Camp at Cape Cod Sea Camps. Uh, so I had to have been 13. It was 1982, and uh, listened to a tape of that. One of my bunkmates had a tape, and I, I listened to it all the time on a Walkman. Uh, and we listened. We would play it in the cabin a lot as well on a boombox. And then I had the actual vinyl, of course, back in those days, and uh, played it incessantly when I, when I got home from camp that summer. It reminded me uh, of camp. And um, as a matter of fact... When I moved back into uh, the apartment in which I currently live, that I grew up in, uh, found some of my old albums and uh, put together four of them uh, and got them framed and, and hangs on the wall in, in the living room here. Uh, one of the albums is uh, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo by Devo. The other is Wild Planet by the B-52s. Uh, the other is um, Armed Forces by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And the fourth one is Candio by the cards. Great album cover, by the way. So, uh, 
A fond adieu and farewell to you, Mr. Rick Ocasek. All right. We've got a big show to get to. Week two in the NFL in the books, pending the Jets-Browns Monday night affair. We also have uh, a little bit about Major League Baseball, specifically the Mets, but we start in the NFL, and we start with the Lions again with a uh, somewhat, not somewhat, very sloppy, albeit much-needed home win yesterday against the Chargers. Uh, after, you know, we talked about last week uh, the disappointment of having a 24-6 lead and the game ending in a tie, and then the circumstances around the end of the game and then getting into the overtime and not having the ball first and holding Arizona with a field goal. So then you got out of there feeling a little bit like, well, sure, you would have liked to have had the win, should have had the win, but tie wasn't the worst thing in the world, still not a loss. Um, and so now they come back, they play a good San Diego team, albeit a banged-up one. Uh, you know, San Diego in the playoffs last year did a number on Baltimore in the playoffs last year. Uh, obviously got blown out by the Patriots, but, you know, Patriots do that to a lot of teams. But, look, Chargers still a good team. Still have Phillip Rivers. Austin Eckler is an excellent running back, although he had a huge fumble yesterday that really helped the Lions. Uh, replacing, you know, Melvin Gordon, who's sitting out, who's also a stud. Uh, but they still have Keenan Allen, who did a number on Darius Slay yesterday until way late in the game. We'll get to the big plays in a second. Uh, Mike Williams is an emerging star at, at, at wide receiver. They still have Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, two of the best edge rushers in, in all of football. Um, so, look, you know, they still have Casey Hayward back there in the secondary. It, it, Chargers are a good team. That was a good win for the Lions. Ugly, to be sure. A little fortunate, no doubt. Uh, both teams really couldn't kind of get out of their own way. I mean, you had, you know, the miscues you had. I think, I think Both teams got penalized eight times. The Chargers had two touchdowns taken off the board because of penalties, and they were good calls. Uh, the Lions, again, all kinds of penalties on special teams. The Lions' special teams right now is an absolute nightmare. I, I would imagine part of that is because, you know, look, in, in, nobody plays their starters in preseason hardly at all anymore, and they don't even really play key backups. And a lot of these key backups are special teams guys. And these guys aren't even playing special teams in preseason games. These are the guys that don't end up making the roster. And, you know, look, they, they, they keep changing the rules Right, you can't double team guys now on kickoff returns. There's no more wedges, um, blindside blocks are a thing of the past, and it's all in the spirit of safety. Uh, I understand that. I'm not criticizing the rules, but what I'm saying is guys are probably still getting used to it. And then when you have the and special teams is you know look punt return. I played all special teams in high school until senior year when finally as a senior you were allowed to basically designate your backup to run down on kickoffs for you. Uh, but other than that, I played every other special team. I was on punt team um, both ways. I mean, I, I did everything. And kick return. Uh, kick offs was the one thing I wasn't able to do. Special teams unlike any other play in football, right? So, you know, guys are going 100 miles an hour. You're covering a, a vast amount of the field that you're not covering. I mean, a normal football play, you know, unless it's a bomb, it takes place in basically a 10-yard space. Special teams plays take place, you know, f- field is 50 yards wide. And, you know, a 40-yard punt, th- I mean, think about it. You, you could be running 60, 70 yards. It's a lot of moving parts. Uh, and so I'm hoping, anyway, that the, the preponderance of special teams penalties here for the Lions early uh, is because of the fact that they didn't really have any in-game experience in a preseason, and hopefully these guys will figure it out. Uh, I mean, look, special teams penalties are nothing new. I mean, they've been getting – for, I'd say the last 20 years at least, 
right? There's always, you know, up, you know, good punt return, coming back, illegal block in the back, clipping, holding, whatever. So, I mean, this is nothing new, but it seems like it's gotten worse. Certainly for the Lions, it has. But, look, Chargers kicker missed two field goals. And the Chargers, I mean, how many times have I talked about on the show just about the Chargers in general? You know I always have a little thing for them. I like them. But, I mean, they have lost so many games in the last, say, five, seven years. If they would just have a competent kicker or then when they do get one, the guy gets hurt, and that's what the case is now. Uh, um, what's his name? Michael Badgley, or as I call Michael Penn Badgley. Their kicker was hurt, so their punter was also the kicker, and he missed two 40-yard field goals yesterday. Now, on the other side, the line's normally excellent and extremely reliable. Matt Prater missed an extra point, although I think there was something that the exchange wasn't perfect on that. His timing was a little bit off, and he pulled it. And then he missed a four, and then he missed a 40-yard field goal, which he never misses, particularly in, in the Dome in Detroit. I mean, just last week against Arizona, he crushed a 55-yarder. So, you know, that's four points right there the Lions left off the board. You could add the six that the pack, uh, Chargers left off the board. Plus, Austin Eckler fumbled trying to go in over the top on a touchdown. Give Jelani Tavai the, the, the much maligned second-round pick out of Hawaii, the linebacker, whom I would be on, I'm on record as saying I did not like the pick. And so far after two weeks, I look like a dope, and I'm fine with that. Because uh, he had a good week one against Arizona. He played well against yesterday. Punched the ball out. Devin Kennard with the good recovery didn't try to get cute and scoop and score. He just fell on it. Uh, now, the Lions didn't do anything with that. They went three and out on that possession, but you still kept San Diego out of the end zone. It was first and goal after a pass interference penalty in the end zone on Darius Slay, who, as I mentioned earlier, had a really rough day. Keenan Allen basically had his way with him to the tune of eight catches for 98 yards. But fourth quarter after Stafford finally got in a rhythm, Drove the team down the field 69 yards. Throws a dart from 31 yards out to Kenny Galladay, who got inside position on Casey Hayward. And Stafford did one of his, you know, patented strikes. Just drilled it right between the one and the nine of of Galladay. Um, Lion, you know, San Diego comes back. Phillip Rivers get to about the 35-yard line. They had third now. They had third and 15 because of uh, a penalty and a tackle for loss. Big tackle for loss by Tracy Walker, by the way, um, in that series. And rather than, you know, dump it down and try to kick a field goal to tie because the score was 13-10 at the time and go to overtime, you know, and there was about, mm, there was still roughly two minutes left in the game, maybe just under. Uh, Rivers went for the jugular through the end zone, and Slay had perfect position uh, inside on Keenan Allen and made a great interception. And, look, I was <laughs> I was not pleased with Slay's play yesterday. I don't think anybody was. I don't think he was until that play either. But this is now, by my count, let's see, he did it uh, the fourth time now in his career where he's had essentially a game-saving or ceiling interception in the fourth quarter of a game. He did it a few years ago against Carson Wentz and, and Philly. That same season, he did it on the Thanksgiving Day game against um, Sam Bradford and the Vikings that set the Lions up for a game-winning field goal. He did it last year against Brady and the Patriots, the Sunday night game the Lions won, and then he did it again yesterday. And I talk about this all the time, and A.G. and I talk about this all the time, and Justin and I will talk about this all the time. Corners in the league are going to get beat. It happens. It's just, it's just the, the nature of the position. You guys have short memories, and you got to make plays. You know, I'm all, look, you can give up 
you guys, guys are going to give up touchdowns. They're going to give up catches. It happens. But you can't never not make a play either. And Slay makes plays. Now, I can do without the little finger wag stuff that he does. You know, I mean, he's getting roasted all game yesterday by Keenan Allen. He finally gets his fingertip on a ball, and then he does the finger wag. I mean, come on, Darius. I mean, listen, I get it. His personality it's who he is. It's not my favorite. But anyway, that was a huge play. But then the Lions got the ball back. San Diego had all three timeouts. It was a touchback because he intercepted in the end zone. So the Lions are throwing 25. So if the Lions don't get a first down, this game is not over. The, the, San Diego's probably going to get the ball back with probably – now they're going to ha- not have any timeouts, but remember they're only going to need a field goal to tie. Now obviously the field goal kicker shaky because it's really the punter and he already missed two. But, you know, you want to just get the – you know, you listen, you want to just end the game, right? Run the clock out, get one first down, and end the game. You don't want to give the ball back to Phillip Rivers. So lines run the ball to C.J. Anderson, by the way. I'm already starting to get annoyed with this running back rotation thing. I mean, really, you don't trust Kerryon Johnson in that spot? I mean, C.J. Anderson's fine. But, I mean, Kerryon's a guy. Give him the ball. But, anyway, uh, they, get, uh, they get one yard on first down, three yards on second down, so it's third and six. And rather than try to run the ball... And basically just hope your defense is going to keep, you know, Rivers out of the end zone and or out of field goal range. They do what I've been begging the Lions to do for a million years, which is play action, bootleg, tight end. I mean, the play, it works down on a goal line against the Lions all the time. It works for almost every team all the time. And the Lions did it yesterday, a little naked boot out to the left. Stafford rolling out to his, his offside. Throws a nice little flick to uh, Jesse James, free agent tight end from Pittsburgh. Gets the first down. Ball game over. Very satisfying win. Again, ugly. You'll take it. And Stafford actually said something interesting in his postgame press conference that Matty P, as he referred to him, Matt Patricia, the Lions coach, apparently preaches that, guys, look, these September games are going to be ugly. You just got to keep grinding and you got to keep fighting. And I've been a very vocal Matt Patricia critic, but he's definitely right about that. And good on him. Now look, uh, I'm the fr- you give credit where credit's due. And the Lions played well enough yesterday against a good team to win that game. You know, Stafford had one, one interception I didn't think was a, was, was a bad play. He had Galladay one-on-one in the end zone with a guy. He just didn't throw the ball up high enough. Then, of course, the ball bounces around, hits the guy on his back, rolls up on his leg, and then the guy's, roll, the guy's lying on his back in the end zone. And the ball, of course, nestles very nice, nice and gently right into his gut. Uh, it's unbelievable. Second interception Stafford threw was not, was not a good decision. He didn't see the safety over the top. He threw it in a double t- coverage. He admitted after the game that's one he would like to have back. But other than that, I mean, he's 22 for 30. So, I mean, you know, the accuracy was pretty much there. He, he, he played, a, he played, look, and he did what he does. Fourth quarter, trailing, drive, you need it, he gives you a touchdown. Stafford's my guy, he's always going to be my guy. The big revelation to me in that game yesterday was the play of Tyrell Crosby, backup left tackle. He's their swing tackle, he played some right tackle, he played some left tackle, fifth round pick last year. Um, guy who's thought to be drafted much higher than the fifth round, fell to the fifth round because of some injury concerns coming out of Oregon. Um, we, I, I talked at length last week about how bad Taylor Decker was in week one and how he's not been very good really at all for the last, you know, all last year and, and the first game this year, and he looked bad in the preseason. Terrell Crosby was fantastic yesterday. Didn't allow one sack, allowed two pressures, no quarterback hits, and again, that's going up against Bosa, 
and Melvin Ingram, two of the best edge rushers in the league. And kudos also to Rick Wagner, who I've also given a lot of grief to, and rightfully so, because he's got the huge contract, and he also has not played up to that contract. He played a very, very good game yesterday, too. Now, the run blocking could use some work. I also thought that Carrion Johnson missed a couple of opportunities early in that game where plays that were like four- and five-yard gains could have been bigger, bigger gains. I think he didn't really see where the, the big hole was, and he was more determined to kind of just get what he could rather than try to bust one big. Um, you know, it happens. The encouraging thing is I think there were some holes there. He just didn't see them. So the running game wasn't great, although Ty Johnson, my guy from Maryland, the rookie, had five carries for 30 yards, and his first carry was 17 yards, and he showed surprising power as he ran over two guys at the end of that run. You know, he's got the speed. He's got the wheels. We've talked about that. That guy gets to the second level. Forget it. Nobody's catching him. So that bears some watching, too, because he got seven touches in the game yesterday. And I like what Daryl Bevel, the new offense coordinator, has done so far. I love the play-action game. And, you know, it's interesting. When the Lions used to run play-action, particularly on the Linehan, it was, very a half, it was a very half-hearted play-action. And I didn't know if that was on Stafford or what, but these new play-actions that the Lions run, he's really selling these fakes hard. And I love it. And, and last week he was 10 for 10 out of play-action. I don't know what the numbers were from yesterday yet. But again, the biggest play of the game, a have-to-have-it situation to seal the deal and get a first down and run the clock out, they went play-action. So... Love it. Very happy with Daryl Bevel so far. Big week, of course, this week. Every week's big in the NFL. They got to go on the road at Philly. Philly's going to be, you know, angry. They lost a tough one last night in Atlanta. Philly's also very banged up, so we'll see. But we'll get to that later. Um, so, yeah, that's basically your line story out of yesterday. Now, the other big stories coming out of yesterday's game. Ben Roethlisberger out for the season with an elbow, needs surgery, elbow injury. Threw a pass yesterday, seemingly innocuous, and uh, then he started shaking his arm, left the game, didn't come back out. Mason Rudolph, the guy they drafted in the third round, I believe it was last year at Oklahoma State, maybe it was two years ago, came in, played well. They couldn't get it done, though, at home against Seattle. Pittsburgh now 0-2, Seattle 2-0. Russell Wilson with a sublime performance yesterday, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, but I don't think this cooks the Steelers' season. Mason Rudolph looked good in the preseason. He looked good in the game yesterday. He's, you would think now with James Washington, who a lot is being asked of him, the second-year receiver at Oklahoma State who played with Mason Rudolph in college, and they had a nice thing going there, and they, they, they had a nice little thing going in the preseason. Um, this could benefit him. But, you know, look, he's basically, with Antonio Brown not there anymore, Juju Smith-Schuster's asked to be basically Antonio Brown. I mean, look, different kind of player. But he's asked to be the number one receiver. Now James Washington's going to needs to be the number two receiver. Um. James Conner got hurt yesterday. I don't know how bad that injury is, but he didn't come back into the game. So Steelers have some issues, but I don't think this cooks their season. Now, their defense, it's a whole other story. They Very un-Steelers, like the last several years, their defense has not really been particularly good. Um, and they keep drafting guys for defense. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, just, they're not that fearsome defense that they, that they used to be. 
You know, you used to be able – I mean, they used to plug and play those outside linebackers in that 3-4. You know, Jason Gilden, Joey Porter. Um, uh, oh, who's the other guy I'm thinking of? How can I not uh, – James Harrison, right? Um, the, uh, Lamar Woodley. I mean, every every four years they just you put a new guy – I mean, James Harrison had a plane forever. But you know what I'm saying? They put a new guy in there, and that guy would get double-digit sacks every year. They thought it was going to be Bud Dupree. He hasn't – he's been okay, but he hasn't been great. Thought it was going to be Jarvis Jones – Guy that AG and I love coming out of Georgia. He's not even in the league anymore. So, you know, they've got some issues there. Uh, and their secondary just isn't all that good. So, and then the other big quarterback that went down is Drew Brees. He got hit on the hand by Aaron Donald on a pass rush. Um, and he's got a broken thumb. He's out at least six weeks. Now, again, I don't think this sinks the, 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 the Saints ship either. Teddy Bridgewater is a decent quarterback. That's a very good offense still. Pretty good offensive line. Lots of weapons. you got Kamara. You've got Michael Thomas. Um, even um, uh, Latavius Murray is now the new Mark Ingram. There's not as good as Mark Ingram, but he's, he's a decent back. Still have Ted Ginn Jr. who can still get deep somehow all these years later. Sean Payton, obviously. You know, Taysom Hill, the Swiss Army knife. Although it'd be interesting now because Taysom Hill, I would assume, is going to be the legit backup quarterback now. You know, he played quarterback at BYU. The Saints have deployed him in a number of different ways. You know, a lot of gadget plays on offense, and he's been a great special teams player. I am assuming they're going to take him off special teams now. But I would imagine they'll try to work him in more into part of the offense. Although, again, you got to be careful with that. Because if he gets hurt in a game and can't play, and then Bridgewater gets hurt, then what are you going to do? You don't have a quarterback. I mean, I'm sure they're going to sign somebody off the street now to be the third-string guy, and they may have to put that, make that guy active on game days, though, just in, in the, in the uh, event, again, that the worst-case scenario happens where both Taysom Hill and Teddy Bridgewater get hurt. So that certainly bears watching. Now, it's funny. You know, the Saints, obviously, we, we, we all heard, you know, we all saw the play last year where they didn't get the pass interference call, and it was a, it was a blown call, no question about it. But again, the moaning and groaning and the public outcry. Where was all this public outcry when the lines were getting screwed over by the refs during the Jim Schwartz era? At least once a season. It's funny. I don't really remember that. Or when they picked up the flag in the playoff game when Jim Caldwell was the coach in Dallas. I mean, there was a little bit, but they, nobody was asking for rules changes then. But now we have this stupid, now you can challenge pass interference rule, which, by the way, thankfully, it appears at least early on, uh, these calls are not going to get overturned. And basically the message they're sending is, guys, don't even try it. Because unless it's so blatantly obvious, we're not overturning any of these calls. And there was a call last night in the Eagles-Falcons uh, game that it was interference, but it was close. But by the rule, it was interference. They didn't call it. Uh, Philly challenged it, and the refs upheld it. I mean, that's the last thing. Of course, you know that the Patriots will be the first beneficiary of this rule, though. And the Lions will probably be <laughs> on the short end of this. I, that, that I can almost guarantee you. But at least early on here, they did it all preseason. They didn't overturn any of these when, it, when coaches challenged it, and they haven't in the first two games yet. But so there was a play in yesterday's game where uh, Rams are driving, still a close game. Uh, Jared Goff gets sacked. Ball comes out. Cam Jordan picks it up. The 20 runs 80 yards for a touchdown. Except the refs blow the play dead. Now, for years, the refs have been instructed to not 
blow the play dead because all turnovers and all scoring plays are reviewed automatically. Gee, what does that remind me of? Oh, I know. The playoff game in 11, when we sacked Drew Brees and forced the fumble and recovered it and was Justin Durant was turning, running it in for a touchdown and they erroneously blew the play dead. Now they gave us the ball like they gave the Saints the ball yesterday, but fat lot of good that did us and fat lot of good it did the Saints yesterday. They ended up losing the game 27-9. It was a huge momentum swing in that game. And they're moaning and groaning, and I get it, but guess what? I don't feel sorry for you at all. Because as a Lions fan, it happened against your team in the playoffs. Much bigger stakes. So knock it off, Saints fans, with this whole mantra now the league has it. Listen, if I were you, I'd be angry too. But I have been in your position for many, many years. I don't want to rehash all the, all the egregious calls that have gone against the Lions over the years because I've done it ad nauseum, I know. I, just, I find it, I guess, interesting. I guess maybe I should be more empathetic to the Saints fans, but I'm not. I don't want to hear it. Now, my Giants, <laughs> my Giants, the Giants, kind of my Giants, uh, it was ugly yesterday. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see a whole lot of it. Really just watched the highlights because they were on the same time as the Lions. But um, they got problems. And I don't think this is like 0-2 and 0-7 when they came back and went 9-7 and and then ended up winning the uh, Super Bowl. Defense doesn't look like it's very good. Although I still think it can be better than it's shown. But the secondary looks like, I mean, look, Janoris Jenkins, I, I, I've said this for a while now, not bad, but way overrated. And, you know, they're going with a rookie and, a, and, a, and an unheralded guy splitting time at the other corner. You know, no Landon Collins back there anymore. Jabril, Jabril Peppers, I don't think, is very good. Um, I thought the pass rush would be better. Showed a little, some signs yesterday. You know, Golden, uh, uh, O'Shane Jimenez, the rookie at Old Dominion. Lorenzo Carter, the rookie from last year who had a very promising rookie year. I still think those guys will, will, will start to get to the passer a little better. Um, but the defense has not looked good, and then Eli looked very bad yesterday from what I saw. Kind of got it back together late. They got the game to 21-14, and then the defense couldn't stop the Bills again. You know, Barkley is Barkley. He's a stud. We all know this. Same thing two weeks in a row. First series of the game, Giants offense looks like world beaters. Barkley goes for a long run, gets a score, and then things just kind of shut down and break down. Now, the good news, if you're a Giants fan and if you're looking at the glass half full, is I don't think Washington's any good. And Philly's really banged up right now. Uh, I mean, look, Carson Wentz, I said it in my preseason predictions. I, didn't, I You know, everyone loved Philly. I think they're a good team. I think he's a good quarterback. But I don't understand why anybody expects him to make it through a full season. He hasn't done it yet. And he got hurt in the game again yesterday. Now, he came back in, but their backup is Josh McCown. Now, he looked good in the one series he was in there. But, I mean, that's that's coming in off the bench. It's a whole – if Josh McCown has to play significant game – again, they don't have Nick Foles to bail them out anymore. Josh McCown, who's, I believe, 40, 
and never any good, by the way. Um, I, the reason he's hung around the league is he's, he's got a big arm, and he's a good athlete, and he's a great guy. So that's why he's been on a million teams. And he, he's what you want in a backup quarterback. That's fine. I mean, I remember when he was on the Lions a million years ago during the Matt Millen era. That's how long he's been in the league. And he couldn't beat out John Kitna. So, um, I mean, guys play for almost every team in the league. But if they got to go like six, you know, if Carson Wentz misses any significant amount of time, like if, if, if he goes down for six games like Breeze just did, uh, Phil's going to be in trouble. And then they just had uh, Malik Jackson de-tackle out for the year. Then Timmy Jernigan is back up now. He got hurt last night. He's also out for the year. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they've got some issues. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey hurt. Deshaun Jackson was hurt. I and mean, look, they still hung in there. I'll give them credit. They still hung in there. They got three picks off Matt Ryan. They also gave up some big plays. But my point is, I don't think they, you know, Dallas, of course, looks like world beaters the first two weeks. Um, you know, look, give them their credit. Dak's playing great so far. The offense is clicking on all cylinders. Defense is pretty good. But, you know, Washington isn't any good. They're just not. I mean, they're just not. So, I, I, I take the Dallas... Romp yesterday, it wasn't a total romp, but I mean, what they went 35 21 or something. It, 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 take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Point is, I, I know 0 2 is not where, how you want to start, but I don't think the Giants' season is over just yet. However, and this is somewhat surprising, Giants have now started 0 2 six out of the last seven years. It's very, you know, I say this, I've said this before, it's really interesting. The way the Giants and Jets get covered here in New York. I mean, the Giants have engendered so much carte blanche and so much built-up equity with both the fans and the media because of those two Super Bowl wins. I mean, if the you know the Jets, anytime anything goes wrong for the Jets, it's same old Jets. They're a total disaster. They're a laughing stock. You know, now Sam Darnold's got mono. He had to get all the kissing jokes last week. I mean, I, I get it, and believe me, the, the, the Jets stuff is is, is well chronicled. I understand that. But again, the Giants have started 0-2-6 out of the last seven years. And I mean, you know, I guess we'll just forget the Ben McAdoo era, but that was a horror show. It was almost Ray Hanley-esque. And the Bills, by the way, have beaten both New York teams. Well, supposedly. I mean, they both play New Jersey, of course. But both teams named New York. The Jets and the Giants. The Bills are 2-0 against both of them. Could the Bills be sneaky good? I mean, Josh Allen, one play looks like he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And the next play, he throws his darts. He's super athletic. He's a big kid. This Devin Singletary is going to be a player. The running back that they drafted out of uh, Memphis. He had a nice game again yesterday. They're going to start working him in more to the offense, I would assume. They have the ageless wonder Frank Gore back there. And the Bills' defense is pretty good. Could they be sneaky good? I, mean, I don't love their receivers. I mean, when Cole Beasley is like one of your top guys, that doesn't say a lot. Not that he's a nice player, but he's a slot guy. He's a perfect third receiver. 
then Green Bay played Minnesota yesterday. Got out to a big lead. Minnesota tried to claw their way back into the game. And then guess what happened in the fourth quarter? Oh, what a surprise. Kirk Cousins threw a, a soul-crushing interception. Shocker. Look, I, don't, I know it's only two weeks in. But I said it at the time I, about the NFC North. I, I don't know what to make of really any of these teams. I, I thought Matt LaFleur was a candidate to be a one-and-done coach. But I, I picked Green Bay because you got to go with the best quarterback, and they still have the best quarterback in Rodgers. And they have a decent running game with Aaron Jones, and that defense got some young players on it playing well. Jair Alexander, the, the, the corner out of Louisville from last year. Um... Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, the guys they signed, the two edge rushers in the offseason. They had a good week one. They played okay yesterday. You know, as long as Rodgers plays, Packers are always going to be tough to deal with, particularly in Lambeau. And then the other NFC North team, the Bears, got the gift of all gifts yesterday. Down, what was it? 14-13. Denver scores, goes for two to go up one with like 30 seconds left. The Bears are facing a fourth and 15. No, it's 40 seconds left. Bears are facing a fourth and 15 with like, I don't know, 16 seconds left. Somehow Denver gives up a 25, sorry, yeah, fourth and 15. They give up a 25-yard pass, but it looked for all the world like time had expired, and that was it. Game was over. But they put one second back on the clock for whatever reason. And then the Bears kicker, Eddie Pinheiro, you know, the kicking thing had been a major issue for them. They brought in literally nine guys in the preseason. They obviously, Cody Parkey missed, got the kick partially blocked, and then it hit the upright in the playoffs last year against Philly. Otherwise, they would have won that game. So, you know, it had been the source of consternation and a lot of jokes, and rightfully so. And then, of course, this guy makes a 53-yarder. Now, it's in Denver, which is where... You know, the, the, the altitude makes the air thin and the ball really flies. But he made the kick. you got to give him credit, I guess. It's very irritating as someone who doesn't like the Bears. But it was another raucous weekend in the NFL. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the Mets right after this. Okay, we are back here on a Monday edition of Jamal About Sports. So, let's see. Last Tuesday, it looked for all the world like the Mets were done. Then they swept Arizona, and it looked like they were back in it. Then they uh, lost the Friday night game in somewhat ugly fashion to the Dodgers. Uh, Then they won a thrilling game Saturday night with DeGrom pitched seven shutout innings. Rajah Davis came off the bench with a pinch hit bases clearing double and then last night they got a 2-0 lead early Wheeler pitched great worked in and added some jams in the 6th and 7th got the Mets out of there with a 2-1 lead and Mets had a chance to add runs in the bottom of the 7th they didn't they brought in Justin Wilson for the 8th who's been great since he came off the DL walks the leadoff guy Jed Jerko cannot do that course come then he balks into second base because his cleat gets stuck in the mound when he's about to throw a pitch and he never throw through the pitch so that's a balk then he wild pitched him over to third struck the next guy out then he gives up a double to uh, Chris Taylor 
Lugo comes in, gets him out of that inning, at least to keep the game tied at two. And then Lugo, of course, gives up a run in the uh, top of the ninth. And he's been great lately, too. Uh, and the Mets lose a crusher 3-2, and that's pretty much it. They're four games back now with, I think, what, 13 to play? 14 to play, something like that. Um, look, I understand Alonzo's gotten ice cold lately, and, and so has Jeff McNeil. Um, again, the reason the Mets aren't in the playoffs this year is the bullpen. And it's not, I'm not blaming Wilson or Lugo for last night. The point is Lugo and Wilson shouldn't be your eighth and a ninth inning guy. Those, those guys are supposed to be Familia and Edwin Diaz. And they've both been so bad this year that Mickey Cowley finally, after giving them both many, many chances to redeem themselves, were not up to the task. And so, again, guys who are better, you know, Justin Wilson's better suited to be a seventh inning guy, maybe even more of a, a lefty, not really a lefty specialist, but certainly a seventh inning guy. That was the role that the Mets envisioned for him when they signed him, or occasional eighth inning here based on matchup. But the blueprint was Familia locks down the eighth, Diaz goes in the ninth. If you had your druthers, if everything was lined up properly. Now, Lugo has emerged as a very... Very good bullpen arm, but occasionally he gets touched. And he also can't pitch back-to-back games, really. So he can't really be your closer. I mean, Lugo, again, he would, he'd also be a perfect eighth-inning guy. You know, if you had him and Wilson and Familia all splitting the role in eighth-inning, great. And Diaz the ninth, and then if Diaz did need a blow, okay, then you could use Lugo. Or maybe even Familia, since Familia was a very successful closer. Remember, he faced, saved, saved 51 games in 15 when the Mets won, uh, made it to the World Series. And he had 40-something saves the next year when they made the play-in game. But those guys have really wrecked the Mets' season. I mean, I, I listen, I don't want to put it all on their doorstep because, you know, they weren't the only reasons why the Mets were 11 games under 500 at one point. I mean, you know, Todd Frazier going six weeks without a hit practically didn't help. And Juan Lagares hitting, you know, 175 for a long part stretches of the year. Um, and the starting pitching got off to a bit of a slow start. But really, when the Mets have gone on this run, I mean, think about it. They blew a six-run lead against the Nationals in the ninth inning. The game last night, now I understand it's one skinny run. The Dodgers are the best team in the league for a reason. They kind of said this a million times. Their bench is better than half the team's starters. They come at you in waves. There's, not, there's hardly an easy out in that whole lineup. I get it. It's going to happen. I'm just saying, if things worked out the way we thought and the Mets thought they were, and that game last night is familiar in the eighth and Diaz in the ninth, not Justin Wilson and Seth Lugo. And again, both those guys have been really good during this run for the most part. So I'm not even really, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get on those guys. They've been great. And again, it's an encouraging season because the Mets have this young core. And Wheeler was fantastic last night. And, and make no mistake, the Dodgers want to win these games. They are not taking their foot off the gas, and good for them. You know, listen, if I was the Dodgers and I saw DeGrom, I mean, even Cody Bellinger said it, and he's murdering everybody this year. He goes, that guy's stuff is ridiculous. You think the Dodgers want to have to face the Mets in the playoffs and go up against Wheeler, 
DeGrom and Syndergaard. Now, the Friday night game was this whole, you know, Syndergaard pitched. He didn't pitch that well. Now, he gave up a three-run homer. He pitched five innings, four runs. Gave up a three-run homer. It came right after a play that was a hit-and-run. So Cano's going over to second to cover the bag anyway. And the ball gets underneath his arm. Now, you know, a very good second baseman probably turns that into a double play. At worst, knock the ball down, keep it on the infield. But it could have been an inning-ending double play. And instead, the next guy up hits a home run. Now, listen, that's on Syndergaard. He hung a 3-2 curveball to this rookie, Gavin Lux. Uh, poor pitch selection. There were, all this stuff was made that Syndergaard went to the front office two weeks ago and said he doesn't like pitching. He, he would rather not pitch to Wilson Ramos. And the numbers bear it out. He has a 5 ERA with Wilson Ramos. And he's got, you know, a, he pitched one game to Rene Rivera. He threw seven shutout innings against the Nationals. And then his ERA with Nido or Nito is like two-something. Two and I understand Wilson Ramos had the 26-game hit streak, and he hit 400 for about a month. I get it. But he's also a catcher, and catchers wear down at the end of the year. And, by the way, Rene Rivera is not nearly the automatic out that Thomas uh, Nito is, Tomas Nito is. So let Rene Rivera catch Syndergaard. It's not hard. And, of course, you know, the New York papers, papers blew it out of proportion. You know, everyone made a big deal of it. I don't think it's a big deal. And I think Syndergaard handled the fallout with a plum. And if the Mets are using this, you know, and, 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 and you know, the speculation is why did this even get out? Why did this get leaked? Joel Sherman from The Post was the first guy to report on it. Why did this get out? And if this is Jeff Wilpon behind the scenes leaking this stuff to try to make Syndergaard look bad so that the Mets fans will, will, will stomach whatever idiotic trade they make in the offseason and dump into the, the Padres or something for Manuel Margot, Marceau, Marceau, the mime, and, you know, Austin Hedges, a 185-hitting catcher. Uh, I'm sorry, this one Mets fan here is not going to buy that nonsense. Again, I'll say it a million times. If you trade Syndergaard, you better get at least one Stud position players ready to play today who has a major league track record and one stud prospect, at least. And if you don't get that, bye bye But I wouldn't trade him. Anyway, I understand. Look, we might have to just accept the fact that he's not going to be Jacob deGrom. There's not a lot of Jacob deGroms out there. He's not going to be Max Scherzer. But he's still plenty damn good. So assuming the Mets are smart and keep Syndergaard next year, with that staff, with DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats and Stroman and hopefully even Wheeler, I'll put that five up against anybody's five. Now, obviously, the bullpen needs a ton of work. And again, though, don't give me what the Mets have been doing for the last 10, 15 years, which is addressing only, quote-unquote, one, the one problem. That bench still needs to get better. They need a better backup catcher than Tomas Nito. I understand the pitchers like throwing to him. You got to be able to find somebody else out there that pitchers like throwing to. They could also hit a little bit. So listen. Overall, I, I mean, I wasn't even mad last night. I wasn't even mad Friday night. I mean, I've actually gotten past the point of getting mad about any of these Mets losses. I'm, I'm, I'm really actually very encouraged with the way they battled back from being 11 games under 500 to at least make themselves relevant and give us some fun games to watch and some thrilling wins. A couple of those wins over the Nationals were thrilling. 
and look, they've also we've had some 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 heart wrenching losses, no question about it. Blowing a six run lead to the Nationals, chief among them. But again, I think the future is bright. Now the big question is Callaway, because remember Brody Van Wagenen, the general manager, didn't hire Callaway. Sandy Alderson did. Again, you know my position here. To me, Joe Girardi is a perfect fit for this team. Perfect. And he is salivating. He wants to manage this team so badly. He sees that pitching staff. He sees guys like McNeil and Alonzo and Conforto and Rosario and J.D. Davis. And he's like, get, and even Nimmo. And he's like, get me over there. I will. Uh, he'd win 90 games with this team. Even this year's team, even with this crappy bullpen, he would have coaxed 90 wins out of this team. I watched him do it with the Yankees with Lyle Overbay at first base and Shannon Stewart in center field when both of those guys were way past their primes. The Yankees won 84 games. He'd be perfect. And I don't want to hear this nonsense about his, his personality is prickly. Who gives a shit? Ridiculous. You know? I mean, I understand Mickey, for the most part, is a nice guy, but uh, I guarantee Joe Girardi would never threaten a reporter either, the way Mickey Calloway did. Or, sorry, Calloway didn't threaten him, but he screamed at him, and then Jason Vargas threatened him, and then Calloway basically didn't, you know, chastise his player. Remember that? EDC from a couple months ago? And look, I get it. Cowie seems like a nice guy for the most part. That's fine. You know, a lot of his moves are, are head scratchers. And also, though, to be fair, when you, when you really only have two reliable arms in the bullpen, it's tough. I get it. I get it. But I just, I, again, I just think Girardi would be phenomenal with this team. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out on Twitter, at Jamal, at Jamal about sport and OS. Until next week, peace out.